This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is a show that we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. So make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as getting some killer free stuff by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show, but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, even relationship management and breakups. That stuff is all obviously extremely important to your success, so make sure you get a handle on that as well. We've also got our boot camps and our live training running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com or just give us a call or even email me, Jordan H. at The Art of Charm, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to know to get started with that. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with my friend John Vroman. We're gonna talk about creating value inside your own network, being a creator, and how even an introvert can run the room, habit change to see negative events, quote unquote, in a different light, and how we can create positivity as a habit, how your dreams feel your commitment, which fuels your drive, which fuels your actions, and how would your level of commitment change if the rewards were multiplied? We're gonna ask ourselves this as a thought exercise and see what happens, and we're gonna talk about why legacy is greater than currency, how to decide what's worth fighting for, and how you wanna be remembered. So enjoy this one with John Vroman. I'm here with my friend John Vroman, and today we're gonna discuss a little bit about how you got where you are, and we'll talk about that in a second, but you've got some great life principles, the five C's to living life, and we'll get in that as well, but tell us what you're doing now, and tell us kinda how you got there, short version, and we'll dig in later. Yeah, cool, well, um, what I'm doing now is I'm speaking to colleges, universities, corporations about living life in the front row. Basically, uh, what, I'm, what I'm all about is engagement, stepping up and doing something with your life. So the metaphor is don't be a spectator, be a participant. So I get brought in for a lot of leadership type events, lecture series. And then I'm also running a charity called Front Row Foundation, which is like a wish-granting organization. And But we're very unique in that we put people in the front row of their favorite live events. So oh. sporting events, music, and, and live entertainment. Okay, so that's why it's called Front Row, because I was totally going to call you out and be like, even if you're in the front row, you're still a spectator. That's right. But yeah. that's, okay, but you got me on that one. All right, that that's fair. <laughs> By the way, you're going to have to rename your charity because you that's failed. Right. <laughs> And tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do that, because that's really cool. It's almost make a wishy in a way. That's right. If I'm yeah. allowed to say that. And that you are. I think a lot of people would obviously love to do that, especially if you have an uncertain future. But speaking of which, you know, you have always been inspired by other people's stories. Your story is inspiring as well. Tell us why did you decide to take charge of your life and not be a spectator? Was that something that you were doing in the past or what? Yeah, I was definitely a spectator. I go back to my high school days, and I was really a short kid in high school, 4'10", 85 pounds in my sophomore year, and walked around kind of with my head down and lived this life where I was just, my mindset was as small as my body, if you will. You know, after years of doing that, I think what happened is I had that moment when it all shifted, and I was at a concert, and I was in the very back row, and I was looking down to the front, and energy in the front was just, you know, electric and people were standing up and singing and they were part of it. That's what I mean. They were a participant. And in the back, I looked around and people were on their phones and they're sitting down and it was a totally different vibe. And then I realized that that was just kind of a metaphor for my life and how I'd been living. And I just was playing it safe and watching it all go by and, you know, like to be the one in the back seeing everybody else, but not to be the leader in the front, not to be the one that has the courage to like, set the tone of the event and be the first one to jump up and participate. Cool. You know, that was the day that I realized that I wanted to live differently. And then from that point forward is all about 
studying the great and experimenting and having the courage to just jump up and do something and not be just watching it all go by. And I think that matters a lot because I totally can identify with that. When I was younger, I think I fortunately had sort of a kick in the ass wake up call early. Luckily, wasn't too severe. I was in high school and I was just really bored and I started getting in trouble. I was reading the newspaper because my dad used to be like, read the newspaper because I was just kind of a pain in the ass. And I kept reading these stories. I know he didn't do this on purpose. I'm sure he'd love to take credit for this. But I was reading these stories about kids getting in trouble and it was always like the ones that were young they were always like I'm bored right I just got bored and I worked at a movie theater too and there was a couple like retired cops and they were like you know stay out of trouble I'm like why do people say that I mean how many people get in trouble and then I realized I was kind of getting in trouble and I was talking to him about it and he's like I get it you're bored kids vandalize things when they're bored they do stuff when they're bored and I was like okay so I'm not just a bad kid I'm bored but it's gonna escalate and I kind of knew that One of the things he said was the smarter the kid, the more trouble they get into. And he was totally right because earlier in my trouble career, (laughs) I was in middle school and I did this massive fraudulent operation with like credit cards ordering pizza to my (laughs) old middle school. I mean, and by massive fraud, I mean, I like, you know, got some number from somebody and like ordered pizza for the whole school. And my parents were like, yeah, not cute. And so the FBI had to get involved. That's how I ended up becoming an FBI informant because I got involved with them that way. And I thought, I see this cycle happening again. And this time they're not going to be like, kids will be kids because I'm 17. They're going to be like, jail time for you. So I ended up being an exchange student and I was really living in this other country and doing all this exciting stuff and traveling around and really living life. And I was young and I got this really cool jump start that most people don't even get until they're in their mid to late 20s, sometimes even when they're in their 30s, if they ever get it, to just go and That's live. Right. So I totally understand what it's like to be in the front row, taking the bull by the horns, deciding that some of it is youthful folly, seeing, saying, I know better than these adults who tell me I just need to buckle down and go to college and get a degree. I know that I don't have to do that right away. But most people, I think, kind of don't necessarily realize that. I wouldn't have realized it either, if my parents hadn't been grateful to get rid of me for a year. You know what I mean? Sure. This is important for so many people listening because so many people, like you said, are taking that back row seat and they're on their phone, they're, get this one more thing out of the way, get this degree out of the way, get these first couple years at the job out of the way, get this, you know, first career promotion thing out of the way and then I'll, you know, look for a, a girlfriend and I'll go travel and I'll take time off and I'll, pay attention to my kids or whatever. And then, you know, I'm not old enough to know this for a fact, but I think when people get to the end of their lives, they don't usually turn around, and you hear this, you know, on Facebook statuses everywhere, they don't turn around and go, I wish I'd worked more. I wish I'd paid more attention to my career. That literally is not, said no man ever on their deathbed, right? That's right. How do we start taking life more seriously slash taking the bull by the horns? Because it's really easy to be like, you can do it, live life, be present. And guys are like, yeah, okay, I got bills, dude. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been there. <laughs> you know, when I started my career as, a, as an entrepreneur, I, I left a high-paying corporate job, and two years later, I found myself $85,000 in credit card debt, you know, Yikes. deciding to pay for the groceries versus the mortgage. And But the plane took off, and I <laughs> get the challenges that, that it takes to – you know, to say, oh, I, I'm surviving right now. I'm not necessarily worried about living life in the front row. But yeah, first of all, what did you buy? Just I was living. I mean, I was, what uh, didn't you buy? Right, is more exactly. of an appropriate question. Yeah, well, married, child on the way at the time, and oh, okay, and everything's a long story, right? But ultimately, it was just about learning how to be an entrepreneur and get the plane off the ground. Yeah, man, that's a lot of money. I mean, and I've had that debt and more. Actually, if, if you count school debt, I've sure. loved to have only $85,000 yeah, in debt. Right, but right. the thing is, student debt is not credit card debt, right? right? So because that $85,000 in student loans grows very slowly, that $85,000 in credit card debt, you wake up the next morning and you can watch that balance climb up, <laughs> up the ladder. How, how did you, first of all, decide that you were going to get rid of that? And how did you actually get the courage to not just bury your head in the sand? Because that's sort of a front row, back row type thing too, right? You could have easily been like, oh, that's an unbeatable odd. I'm just gonna kind of not look at that right now versus, okay, I need to handle this. Well, you're right. It, it can be a daunting thought when you focus on it, but I just decided that what I needed to focus on was activity 
And I had total faith that it would work. I didn't know when, and of course, I, I only have some influence over how quickly I could get the plane off the ground, but I just focused on the activity. I kept learning from the greats. I kept trying new things every day. I remember, <laughs> Jordan, I had 4,000 bucks left in the bank. And I, you know, being a speaker, I thought, well, I'm going to market myself and I'm going to mail out these brochures. Uh, somebody had said it was a good idea. I spent my last $4,000 to mail out several thousand brochures and I got absolutely nothing in return for it. And, uh, and that was a, that was a sad day, <laughs> you know, or month, you could say, waiting for something to happen. But I think desperation can oftentimes breed creativity. My yeah. dad always said that nothing will, will get a man moving more than opening up his kitchen cabinets and seeing no food. And, you know, knowing that I had a family to look after, I just got really innovative and creative and determined more and more and more. And that ultimately led to the breakthrough. Yeah, I can see where desperation would breed inspiration. That's for sure. I mean, otherwise, you just you're kind of out of luck. So tell us how you started living life in the front row to use your own cliche. <laughs> well, I think where it began was it starts with connections. It starts with people living life in the front row is about getting yourself in proximity of something that inspires you. And for me, that's people. So it was getting close to the ones that were doing it the way you wanted to do it, building powerful relationships. I think you change your peer group and life changes around you for sure. I think that Christakis and Fowler did a great job proving that in that book, Connected, you know, the power of your social network. So that's where it began. It's like being at a concert. You know, when you get into that front row and you're 10 feet from the performer, it is a drastically different experience, which is why people will pay ten dollars and $15,000 per ticket to go sit in the front row because of that proximity and the power that it creates. It's a much more intimate and electrifying experience, especially if you feel personally involved with the artist or the music or the performance in some way versus in the back, it's you might as well watch it on television. No doubt. So I think that one of the things I would ask all your listeners is to ask the question, you know, what are you putting yourself in proximity to? And is it inspiring you or is it taking your energy away? So that's a big part of it. You know, for me, it was also about taking some massive action. And I read this book called Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Carnassus, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. One of the best books I've ever read. And he ran these obscene distances. And I wasn't a runner at the time, but I talked to my buddy about it. And we decided that we were going to do a 53-mile ultra marathon to test ourselves, you know, to prove that we could do it. Because just running a marathon wasn't enough. And I wasn't a runner. The most I had ever run in my life was three miles. But we decided we were going to do it in 16 weeks from yeah. the day we committed. You ran that three miles because somebody was chasing you. <laughs> somebody was chasing me. But I'll tell you, the first day we went out to train for this 53-mile ultra marathon, I strapped on my shoes. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to run in one direction as far as I can until my feet bleed. You come pick me up and we'll see how far I went. I ran 3.7 miles. <laughs> That's pretty I, sad. I couldn't walk for five days. Well, but. by the way, not a good training strategy, no, just so you know. Not a good training strategy. But we ended up doing it. We completed the 53-mile run 16 weeks later. That was in November of 2005. And I had this mantra, Jordan. It was, a day of pain is worth a lifetime of pride. That, to me, is what living life in the front row is all about. It was about stepping up and doing something that would push you to your limits. It was seeking discomfort, something I talk about oftentimes. Like, people in the front row, they get very uncomfortable you know, they don't want to have everybody looking at them. They don't want to be in that spot. But, you know, sometimes we put ourselves there, our, our lives change. Yeah, of course. And uh, so you advocate putting yourself in sort of a no return situation, burn the ships type situation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we sent out a letter to all of our friends and family and said, we're doing this. And there was a tremendous amount of pressure to follow through on our commitment. Yeah, because otherwise it's like, hey, whatever happened? Oh, yeah, well, you know. Uh, that never happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that never happened. So tell us how we can start to live our lives in the front row, quote unquote. I mean, there's got to be sort of a step-by-step -step process that's not just paint yourself into a corner that you have to run out right. of, right? To yeah. your feet bleed. You know, as I was saying, when I teach this, I teach five basic ideas. And the first one is, is to evaluate your team and to look at who you're connecting with. The first and biggest idea, when I ask people how they live life in the front row, I interviewed tons of 
really successful people, they all said it's relationships. You know, it was the best decision they made in their lives. And sometimes it was the worst decision who they were hanging out with is maybe the group they shouldn't have been around. I like to consider it like these players of life. Imagine that you're recruiting for a team and on your team, there's lots of different people and you got the quarterback and the receivers and the blockers and everybody brings a different talent to the table. But if you were to recruit, let's say 10 people for your team, who would they be? You know, oftentimes we don't get intentional enough about sitting down and making a list and say, all right, in your personal life, who are your top 10 relationships? How about your professional life? Who are those top 10? And every six months to every year, you reevaluate those relationships. And some people will move up and down. And I prioritize mine. You know, who's in the number one spot? Who am I giving my time and attention to? And then if you take that out even further, you could say, imagine that you're on the field playing the game of life and you got this front row. Who do you want to give a front row ticket to? People that bring energy to you, people that root you on and support you. You want your coach somewhere near you so they can challenge you or direct you or give you guidance and counsel. But it's all proximity. You want those people that don't bring as much energy further up in the stands, further away from you. And you kind of layer out and you get intentional about your relationships. So I'd say that's one of the big ideas, which I think you do a great job here, by the way, Jordan, bringing amazing people to your community And that creates that proximity. You put people who have something to offer in front of others, and that's a front row experience. You know, anytime you're listening to a podcast, I think that's a front row experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think also it it definitely pays to continually evaluate these personal and professional relationships. It seems like a no-brainer, and a lot of people think, well, I've got my friends and those are in there, but I don't think people really make a conscious effort to decide who their friends should be. And we say a lot on the show, you only go as high as your five closest friends. And that's right. I think there's some element of a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, especially, you know, growing up in the Midwest, I totally get it because it seems like, oh, you only want to be friends with people that can help you or you only want to be friends with people who can advance your career. And I understand that criticism because I, you know, I still have friends that aren't really super helpful in that area, but they are bringing value in other ways. And I think that's the crucial difference. You're not just looking for people that you can climb on their back or whatever, but you, they have to be bringing you value in some ways. Are they drainers? Do they take your energy? Are they energy vampires? Or do they give you something? And it doesn't have to be career-wise. You might just be friends with somebody that's really nice to you and tells you funny things or that listens to your problems or that you know helps get you out of the house when you're feeling crummy or whatever, right. or even a drinking buddy that doesn't just sit around and complain all the time, but make sure that the night out is fun. Those people, you should have those people in your circle. It doesn't just have to be people who are gonna mail their email list for you, you know, something like that. That's a big critique that we get on the show a lot as well, is, oh, you're just teaching people how to use other people, and it, it couldn't be further from the truth. I think there's something to the idea of being intentional in your relationships, and successful people all around kind of echo that. That's right. I think everybody has a gift. They bring something to the table and you're an investigator. You know, I always say treat people like a rock star. Your job is to find out what that talent is, find out why they're amazing, you know, do everything you can to collaborate with that talent. That's what the world really needs. People bringing out their best and everybody playing together. Yeah. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether there's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, 
or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Let's get back to the show. And that goes into your next point here, which was, you know, how can you help those individuals achieve their biggest goals this year? And that's under this, this handout that you give when you give talks, how to treat everyone like a rock star. How can you help those individuals achieve their biggest goals this year? Because it's very easy for us to think, well, I've got these really cool friends and they're helping me do this and they're helping me do that and they're helping me do this. And I'm an only child, so that's kind of my default mode. What can you do for me? Which is not cool, right? And so I've worked my whole life essentially especially recently on giving value. And that's essentially what in large part what the show is about. So I think it's a great question to look at your circle instead of thinking, what have you done for me lately? Like Eddie Murphy, right? How can you help those individuals achieve their biggest goals this year? And Definitely. what value can you bring to them in the network? And, and I think, you know, th this is a great exercise, right? Sit down, write out your top 10 personal relationships, your top 10 professional, but next to that, write down, what is their biggest dream? you can't write down those people's biggest dreams, then you've got work to do. Because that's something critical that you need to know. And that ultimately reviewing that list and seeing what can I do to help that person today further their mission to achieve this biggest dream in life, you will strengthen your network in ways that you could have only dreamed of before. Yeah, it seems almost like a no brainer, almost so obvious that you should know that. But I, I'm thinking about my closest friends now. And of course, I know mostly of what they want to do, but it was through effort. And I think a lot of people out there can think about their circle of friends, their five or 10 or even 20 people that they know that they hang out with regularly. It doesn't have to be only their closest friends. They might have no idea what those people's dreams are, and in part because they don't talk about that stuff. That's right. And you should start that conversation. Yeah, and it changes too, right? It's, you know, as much as our dreams and goals change, so do theirs. Sometimes we'll spend six months or a year thinking we know what their dream is, but it's shifted. We haven't asked the question recently. Right, exactly. What sort of single simple action could we do to improve those relationships? Write that down, figure out what their dreams are, and if not, start the conversation? 
Yeah, that's it. And start reaching out. It's come my way several times in the past week where highly successful people, I've just heard it constantly. They say, one of the first things you should do every day is just reach out to your network. You think about what your biggest dreams and goals are, you think about what theirs are, and then you reach out to your network and you collaborate. And that should be one of the first things that you're always doing. So I think the simple thing is just start reaching out intentionally to the people that you really want to connect with and to make sure that you do know what it is that you're trying to support them with. Yeah, I think that's an, an amazing way to deliver value to a network. And what I've done actually recently and is long overdue is I actually made it on Mondays the day that I do like all my kind of administrative weekly tasks. And one of the things that I've added recently was introduce two people in my network to each other yeah. who don't know each other. And I thought to myself, when I added this, I thought, how ridiculous that it took me so long to add this to my calendar. Because <laughs> I did it a lot just without thinking about it. But then yeah. I had one of my AOC team members here be like, hey, you should introduce this guy to this guy. And I thought, I did not think of that. And that's kind of weird. Why haven't I thought about that? Who were the last two people I introduced? Well, it was this guy, but he asked for that. And then this other guy, well, actually... They sort of wanted me to set that up. Wait a minute. I almost never do this spontaneously. I'm generous when asked, and I'm generous when it's so obvious it hits me over the head, but I never really think about how I can go that extra, maybe not mile, but 100 yards to say, hey, you know, John, you should meet my friend Alex. And then it's like, boom, here's the intro with unsolicited, even if there isn't necessarily anything that's obvious that you could create or do together, why not plug those two pieces of the network in? right? Why not? Absolutely. And so I've, I've started to systemize that because I realize if I don't systemize it, it's going to be another three, six, nine months and I'm going to go, oh yeah, 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 got to start doing that, right? Yep. What is this about, it takes a talent to build a house but none to tear it down? I love that quote because it reminds me of what you know your mother might say to you when people are making fun of you on the playground or something like that or making fun of your science project. You know, It takes talent to build a house but none to tear it down. It seems like a, a great thing to keep in mind when you're being criticized, but where does this fall into your system? Well, I think, you know, you, you see what you seek in life and whatever you look for, it'll be there type of thing. When you're creating a life in the front row, you know, it's oftentimes about what you choose to see. Some people go to a party and they always think like they're not at the coolest party and they need to go to the next party and that they're never happy with the party that they're at. And, you know, I think that it takes a real talented person to look around and say, how can we make this an amazing party? You know, even if it didn't feel that way or what's great about this party, why is this the place to be? And then turning whatever moment that you're in into something that's worth remembering. Now, I would say on my tombstone, we talked about this earlier, like at the end of our lives, what do we look back? I wanted to say, you know, moment maker. I wanted to be remembered as somebody that was able to take average moments and make them great. You know, and if you go back to this front row concept of, you know, living life in the front row at a concert, equally, the band wants their fans in the front row. They want those seats filled with raving fans because they get energy from them. And I think that if you're in the front row, you create the energy of your life. It takes a special person to build something up, you know, to make it great. That's what a real leader does. That's what I think is attractive, you know, with guys. It's one of the great lessons I've learned from a good friend years ago. He's like, just be the guy going to the concert, have a really great time. Don't be the guy that's always hunting and stalking and trying too hard, but that you're just there re really enjoying the moment. And I think that creates something amazing in your life. You can absolutely affect peer group. You can affect the room. You can walk into a room and you can light it up if you're a creator. And I think that we all are born creators. You don't have to be an extrovert, by the way, to be that way. I'm not saying that everybody has to be the type of person that stands up, throws their hands up, shouts, but I am saying that there is an energy behind being somebody that creates in the room. And even introverts can be creators. How does that work, though? Because it's obvious to us, the guy who walks in and goes, hey, everybody, blah, 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 talk, 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 talk. How does an introvert be a creator? I think an introvert's a creator by, it's asking the right questions. There was a great book written, by the way, that's gotten a lot of attention by, it's called Quiet, you know, The Power of Introverts. And it was basically explaining that even the greatest salespeople, some of the greatest leaders are introverts because we express enthusiasm differently. You know, a lot of times in sales, people will say it's enthusiasm that sells. But, but sometimes too much enthusiasm, people are turned off by that because they're trying too hard. Just because somebody's an introvert also doesn't mean that, you know, they don't say anything or they don't smile or laugh. It's just that their energy is a little bit different. 
right? They're maybe a little more thoughtful or a little more reserved. But, you know, I have a couple of friends who are introverts by nature, guaranteed introverts, self-proclaimed, everybody else would agree, but they're really funny. Just because they're an introvert doesn't mean they're, they don't tell jokes or they don't laugh or they're not great leaders. That's just an energy, you know? It, it just means that they might not walk into the room and throw their hands up and be like, hey, everybody, I'm here. They might be a little different in their approach, but they're still creating. They're still communicating. An introvert doesn't mean they don't talk. It just means that they might approach that conversation differently. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. So, and I think that's sort of the key differentiator. When a lot of people think introvert, they think sitting at home, not interacting with anyone. That's right. And that's not the case. It just means that they're not the one necessarily doing most of the talking. So how do we manage our energy? It's easy to, to say, yeah, throw energy at this and that and the other thing. But it is kind of a finite resource for us each day. That's why a lot of these productivity pros say, don't attack your email first thing, because then you're spending all your energy on other people's agenda, right? That's right. I've done uh, a lot of the reading of the recent books on willpower and habits. And you're right, it's a lot of it is you know, managing energy is figuring out what parts of the day you're the most productive and then doing your highest value activities during those times. Uh, you know, there's a fascinating study that was done where group of students, one half of the students were asked to remember seven numbers and the other half were asked to remember five numbers. And all they had to do is walk down this hallway and then, you know, repeat the numbers that they had memorized. As they walk through the hallway, there's a table set up and it says free, take one. There's cake and fruit. And the real test was to see as the groups walked by, you know, of the group that had to remember five numbers, would they take the fruit or the cake? And how about the group that had to remember the seven numbers? The group that had to remember seven digits, seven numbers, was 50% more likely to take the cake than the other part of the group. And what a lot of these studies will show is that your willpower, your ability to <laughs> make good decisions, a lot of your willpower is finite, right? It can be drained, like you were right. saying. I find that fascinating because it's like we know that intuitively. When you work your butt off, it goes away. And when you resist something for a long time, but what we don't know that's is right. that it, it actually happens in decision making and things like that. Yeah. That's why when you wake up, you don't want to have to make 10 billion little decisions because then when it comes down to like, do you want this one or do you want this one? Choose one, you know, or you that's will right. die, you know, and it's like, oh, uh, I'm over it. I don't care. You know, it's, it's kind of like when someone's like, hey, what do you want for dinner? Dude, don't even ask me. I don't, <laughs> right. I don't care. Right. Just put food in my face now. That's don't right. care what it is. Uh, well, I just heard a fascinating study that was done. It was you know, tracking um, judges and their verdicts and how at the beginning of their day and the end of their day or at the beginning of their shift and right before they took a lunch break example, how many people would be guilty? How many would be given a pardon, if you will, or, or, you know, or let off? And Trust me, if you are going into a courtroom, you want to be one of the first ones. The statistics are staggering by the end of the day or by the end of their shift. Their ability to forgive and let go and is far different than it is at the beginning of the day. It's funny. I've read that before as well, where after lunch, they're just like, nope, you're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's it. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest questions that we have to ask when we're creating our best lives is, you know, what are my best hours of the day? And then what are my most critical activities? What are the biggest projects? And can I do those within those hours? If you go old school, I get, this goes back to a Brian Tracy book called Eat That Frog. Do you ever read that one? Oh, yeah, where it's just get the most important things that's of the it, day man. done early. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a principle that's been with me for 20 years now. And it constantly shows up. It shows up when I'm not producing. I look at it and go, yeah, that's obvious. I'm doing the easy things first. But if I tackle the tough thing now, you know, do hard things today, life's easier tomorrow, that type of thing. And so it's just figuring out what's your big project and overcoming that fear by just tackling it. And you can create some accountability with that. That's huge, too. Yeah, it's important because, honestly, discipline only counts when you need it. And I'll say that again because I think a lot of people don't understand what that means. Discipline only counts when you need it. You don't need discipline to get up early on Saturday and go get your stuff done. I mean, you don't need that when you're in the mood to do it, right? You have an exciting day at work, it's gonna be a big presentation, you wake up early, you're feeling great, you're ready to go. You don't need discipline then. You need discipline when you don't feel like getting out of bed. You need discipline when you don't feel like going to the gym. You need discipline when you don't feel like 
you know, sticking to your diet at a restaurant or something like that, right? And and I should talk because that's a pot calling the kettle black, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, that's when discipline really counts. And people always go, man, how do you get so much stuff done? And part of the reason is because I love what I do. That's the majority of it. So there's a lot of motivation there. But the other part of it is when I really, really, really don't feel like doing something, I just do it anyway. Yeah. And well, you, that's been crucial to the success of the business. Yeah. You have part of your brain, right? The basal ganglia, which is designed to recognize patterns and then basically shut down your brain so it doesn't have to think about doing things that you do all the time. It's an energy you know, conserving device. Your brain is it's one twentieth of your body mass, but takes up one fifth of the energy to run, to operate. And so your brain is designed to shut down and 40% of your day is basically running routines, habits. You're not consciously deciding what to do. It's just going on, on autopilot. There's this fascinating research with it. You know, they measure brain patterns of little mice and they put them in these cages. And when, when it's trying to find the, the chocolate for the first time, the brain's going crazy the whole time, you know, 10, 15 minutes going crazy. But what they eventually show is that once it figures out how to run the, the pattern and get to the chocolate, the brain's active when it starts. But then the brain basically shuts off. It does the same thing it does when it's sleeping. If mouse finds its way through the maze, gets the chocolate, at the end it lights back up again. The brain turns back on. And what they're essentially showing now, which is really fascinating, is that you shut down for about 40% of your day and just run a pattern. That's both exciting and scary at the same time. I think living life in the front row, for me, is about recognizing that a lot of our day is on autopilot and not getting caught in that trap, not just going through the same old, same old routine. It's like stepping up and saying, I'm going to become aware of what's going on in my life. I'm going to consciously choose. I'm going to shake things up a little bit and start making some decisions as I want them to be, you know, getting myself into proximity of things that matter to me and not just going through the routine. And so you said that part of your brain burns a ton of calories and energy. I mean, does that mean I can stop running? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just think harder, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I can do that. Excellent. And that sort of leads in that discipline discussion leads a little bit into your next point, which is what's good for us isn't always easy to swallow. In fact, I would say generally that's, it depends on (laughs) how good you are at habit change, right? I mean, it becomes easier over time, of course, but I think that's a great point. And you give us this exercise of listing your top three role models. And if they gave you advice about changing just one thing that could impact areas of your life, what would that be? That's a great thought exercise. And I'll let you explain that because right now everyone's hitting rewind to hear that again. But can you deliver that for us in in your trademark fashion? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, first, let me say this, that when it comes to change in my presentation that I do live a couple dozen times a year, I'll show a video of my son eating yogurt for the first time. And he's about one and he's eating plain white organic yogurt, no sugar in it. And every bite's like he's gagging and he's spitting it out. And, you know, my wife and I are cracking up in the background. And I know that sounds like child abuse, but we could have won his heart with sugar. We knew it wasn't good for him. And eventually what ended up happening was that he just got used to the taste and he didn't have a problem with it. But initially it was horrendous, you know, and that's life. That's what I mean by what's good for us isn't always easy to swallow. It's like advice. You know, I had a friend sit down with me one time and they said, John, you're a terrible listener. I was like, and I said, I didn't hear a word they said. And uh, after about a year, no kidding, it finally hit me that they were right. And I had to come to grips with the fact that I wasn't a good listener and that I needed to stop talking and start asking more questions. So now my rule, by the way, is when I talk with people, I ask three questions before I ever comment. And it's just uh, something I work at daily. You know, I'm always improving that, but it's to be constantly asking more questions before I chime in with whatever I'm going to say. But when it comes to your top three role models, my thought is this. Look at the people you admire the most and then ask yourself the question, if that person were looking at your life and they were going to give you advice on to change just one thing, but that one thing could have a massive impact on all areas of your life, what would it be? That's called a keystone habit when they're talking about habits. It's one habit that when you change it, automatically changes other habits. You know, one example was when somebody, you know, was exercising more regularly, they spent less money on their credit card. It was a direct tie. Why is that? Because if you're exercising more regularly, you just feel better about yourself. And because of that, you do this and things start to snowball, right? Things start to domino, if you will. One area of your life, particularly exercise, is one that definitely shows up a lot, right? If you handle that area of your life, so many other things start to change. 
Maybe you require less sleep at night, which means you're more productive. It means that your body starts to shift and you've got more energy. You're not carrying around that extra 20 pounds. And so one habit can change so many other things, one aspect or area of your life. Just the key is to define what that is. For some people, it's their business, you know, or some people, it's their relationship. If they're in a terrible relationship, it affects everything. They don't want to work out. They don't want to work at their profession, whatever it is. But you find that right person and all of a sudden, like, you know, it affects everything in your life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It really can be like that downward spiral that you allow to happen to yourself. And it makes a lot of sense that we should avoid that because I can see the emotional toll that that would take on somebody. Yeah. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Enjoy the rest of the show. So one of the things that happened this morning, some a-hole broke my car window, you know, last night or whatever. Not my windshield, but just like a rear window. Didn't even take anything. Just probably a vandal or some moron here in the city. And you were like, cool, yeah, man, you don't even know what happened, but you wish you had like a camera to see it. And I thought, yeah, that would be cool. And you go, now you get to make up the best story. I like to do this stuff too in my, as a thought exercise in my own head, like what positive things can you take out of this situation, et cetera. But you t seem to obviously ask yourself often, how else can I see this or hear this or do this? Why is that useful? And how do we get guys in the habit of doing that? Because I do think that is powerful. One of the most powerful questions on earth is what else can this mean? I had a time when I was coming out of a parking lot in an airport and the guy behind me in this black Lincoln Navigator is just honking his horn. Not that polite, you know, beep, beep, you got to move on, but like laying on his horn. And I usually don't have road rage, but this particular time I just lost my mind. You know, it was, it was continual honking and eventually put down my window and I went to give him the bird, <laughs> you know, and, and as my hand is going up in the air, I catch out of my rear view mirror. It's the president of my company and he knows it's me and he's just messing with me. I didn't know it was him. And so oh, man. Right, right when I get my hand up and I'm about to extend my middle finger, I just wave yeah, my hand. Sure. Like hey, was, Bill, what's up? Hey, what's up? You know? <laughs> And then my phone rings and it's like, hey, buddy, what's going on? And I was like, he goes, you didn't know it was me behind you, right? I was laughing and he said, you were going to give me the bird, weren't you? <laughs> and he knew, he knew. It was, but, you know, I think sometimes we think we know what's going on in this situation and, and we're wrong. Listen, you could drive down the road and that person could be riding your bumper behind you and you could be like, who's this a-hole on my ass, you know? But the truth is that maybe it's somebody rushing their wife to the hospital to give yeah. birth or a child that's hurt. And the thing is, maybe it is just the a-hole, but... You get to choose how you want to live life. And I think that me, I, I would just rather see the good. And so I think that meaning is everything. I was speaking at a conference not too long ago, and the president of the company told me a story about two kids, and they both wanted a big party for their birthday. And they walk into this room, and there's 
there's shit all over the floor. And, you know, one kid's like, oh, there's crap everywhere. The party's ruined. And the other kid throws his hands up in the air and he's like, woohoo, where's the pony? You know? And, and so sometimes when you see shit in your life, one person sees problem and the other person's like, great, where's, where's the pony? I think it's oftentimes about finding the great meaning in whatever it is that's going on. We were at a Jimmy Buffett concert one time. Great example. You know, talk about being in a show and, you know, it starts to pour down rain and some people are just complaining and it's ruining their day. And then we're just having a blast. You know, the rain was only adding to the benefit of the show. And, you know, one of my buddies turned to me, he's like, you know, what's great about a party and in the thunderstorm. And I said, what's that? He said, because I've been drinking the same beer for half an hour. And it just keeps refilling, full. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, there's always a way to look at something and, you know, you just choose the most positive way possible. Excellent. And you have a quote here that honestly, I'm not sure I totally understand. You say, when your why has heart, your how gets legs. What's up with that? I, I don't get that. <laughs> for most people, the reason that they don't achieve what they are put here on earth to do is because they don't have a big enough reason why. There's not enough behind their commitment. You know, they say they're committed, but they're really not. And I think it's when your why, why you're doing something has real heart, when there is something substantial behind it, a real something that moves your soul, that how you do it, you, you'll find a way. That will just get legs. There was a mountain climber, Jamie Clark, famous mountain climber, and he said, when your why is strong enough, your how reveals itself. And so it's like when we started Front Row Foundation, we had no idea what we were going to do. We literally just took $1,000, wrote out a mission statement on a piece of paper, filed it with the government, and three months later, we got a notice back and said, you're a charity. And we're like, great, we're charity. Now, what do we do? Well, I guess you raise money and go help people. But we had zero understanding of what to do. We just knew we really wanted to do it. And you just figure it out along the way. Another good friend, Carl, is a mountain climber. And he always says, just don't wait to get things perfect to get them going. Just get them going and then worry about getting them perfect later. I think that makes a lot of sense. Here's the problem, though, right? A lot of people are like, I want to do this. And it's kind of more of an outcome. And it's really easy for people to be like, I want to be a millionaire internet marketer or whatever, right? But what does that commitment look like? A lot of people, especially if it's your first endeavor, And this is where a lot of entrepreneurs fail. They're like, I'm passionate about it. And it's like, yeah, for now. And we have a lot of clients that come to the Art of Charm that say things like, I'm coming to you in part because I work my butt off for the first week, two weeks of a project, and I live, eat, and breathe the project. And then after that, it's kind of like squirrel, and then it's another project, and they're (laughs) on to something else. You know what I mean? And it's just... One thing after another, and of course, as you know, you know this as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business owner, that doesn't work. You end up with a bunch of stuff that the first 2% is done awesome, and the rest of it's not even there, so you have nothing. Yeah. How do we get ourselves past that? So here's what I think it is. I think it's just a level of commitment, and when I'm working with people, I give them what I call the billion-dollar-in-gun test, and it really, this is about testing your level of commitment, because you might say you're a 10, and you say I'm all in, but you're really not. This is what real commitment looks like. So people are motivated, as you know, this is basic psychology, by pain or pleasure, right? It's what they want or what they don't want. They're moving towards or away from something. So here's what I say. First of all, billion dollars. If I were to give you a billion dollars to hit your big dream or goal, does it change your level of commitment? For most people, if they really are honest, the answer is yes. If I offered up a billion dollar prize at the end, even if they're not motivated by money, donate it to charity, save a lot of lives with a billion bucks. But my point is, if I were to really offer that, and that was a real deal, you would probably behave differently tomorrow because your level of commitment changes, right? Because it's a bigger uh, prize at the end. You know, what I call the gun test is, it's like, you ever seen the movie The Fight Club? Yeah, of course. Almost a silly question, right? But yeah. do you remember that scene in the Fight Club where Brad Pitt takes the convenience store clerk out behind the store? He gets right. on his hands and knees, right? He's like, give me your wallet. He's like, he's going to school. And Brad Pitt's and he doesn't know if he's life coaching him or, or going to rob him because he's asking right. him, like, what did he wanted to do? Right. He said, why did you move to this country or something like that? And the guy's like, oh, my God, these are white supremacists. I'm going to get killed. <laughs> and he's like, I wanted to go to school for graphic design or something. And he's like, why didn't you finish your degree? Right. You're talking about that that's scene, right? right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And he said, guy's like, I don't know, like life got in the way. And he's like, if you don't have this degree underway by this time next year on your birthday, I'm going to fucking shoot you in the head or whatever. That's it. That's yeah. it. 
that's it. Well, a light bulb went off for me. I was like, listen, take any big goal or dream that you have, Jordan, right now, or anybody that's listening, take your big goal or dream and then ask yourself. Somebody put a gun to your head and said, if you haven't made this progress or you haven't done the goal or dream, within a year, I'll kill you. What do you do? How resourceful do you become? What type of courage do you develop? I mean, all those like, well, they might say no. You just ask. You just, you just go do it, right? But even more powerful than that, I will say to my audiences from time to time, I'll say, you know, if somebody held a gun to my son's head and said, if you don't do that thing that you say you're going to do, I will kill your son. I said, that moves me, Jordan. That, that to me is like, that's real commitment, right? To me, that's basically the difference between saying, yeah, I want to write a bestselling book this year, or I want to be an internet marketer that makes a million dollars and having real reasons behind it. So for most people, it's just about gaining clarity about like, what does their goal really give them and the world? What does it offer? What's the perk? And then what's the consequence? And for most people, it's just not a big enough consequence or big enough perk to move them to not follow through. You put something heavy enough on the line and they'll do it. Yeah, that's real commitment. I can just imagine the conversation you have to have with your son after that, though. Like, Tommy, the man said, if you don't (laughs) clean your room, he's going to kill you. (laughs) It's just a tap into something that means a lot to you. And I think everybody can get that metaphor and then really start to understand, are you bullshitting yourself or are you really committed? So are you actually saying that you should have the same level of commitment in your business now or in whatever endeavor you're trying to do as if you were going to get a billion dollar reward for having accomplished the goals? Saying if you approached your business like there was a billion dollar prize at the end, you you just might become a billionaire anyway. Um, If you approached it with that level of commitment. Now, the point is you can't approach all things in your life possibly with that level of commitment. But the idea is to use the exercise to expose a real authentic answer of maybe you look at this and you go, no, I'm really not that committed to it. Because a lot of it is just lying to yourself. You've got all these things that you're trying to do, but you're not really committed to any of them. So the, the deal is to get really committed about one of them and then to go after it with everything that you've got and to, to approach it with pure passion, pure intensity, pure. I'm not saying never sleep. I'm just saying go after it with everything you've got. And chances are whatever it was destined to be in your life, you will be more likely to get there when you have real commitment. Now, what about when we get discouraged, though? I mean, it's funny because it, again, leads right into your your next point. We'll never know the full impact of our contributions, but we should give anyway. That doesn't necessarily mean to others. It can even mean into the project we were just talking about, right? You might never know exactly what value you're going to get out of something, if any. Yeah, it's a process. It's like climbing the mountain, right? Like the real victory is not actually in standing on top, but the real victory is who you become along the way, the process, the journey. I mean, that we've heard that a million times, but it's true, right? It's falling in love with the process. One of my buddies is training for an Ironman right now, and he's like, it's just a process. I mean, the Ironman's just the single day, but it's who he becomes every day. It's part of the journey. You know, I always say, Who makes a bigger difference in the world? The person that uh, holds the door for somebody as they leave the shopping mall or Bill and Melinda Gates that have the biggest charity in the world? Who makes a bigger difference? We go back and forth and I'm like, point, you don't know. Because what if you held the door for somebody, right? And that person was highly depressed. They were going to go home. They were going to commit suicide. But instead, you had this act of generosity, this compassion, this kindness, whatever it was. And they changed their mind, right? And that person was a genius. And three years later, they find the cure for cancer. Who had the bigger impact in the world? We don't know. We don't know what our actions, where they will lead, but we can just have faith in knowing that if we can become the most authentic version of ourselves and do everything that we were born to do and every day possible, you know, just to do what we can, then we just have to have faith that what's meant to be will be. I'll tell you another quick story, Jordan. One of my favorites is that I was in the car on a road trip one day and I, I came up to a toll booth and this woman who's probably in her late 70s, you know, leans out, collects my three bucks. And as I look at her, most people never talk to you. She asked me, she said, hey, sweetie, how are you? I was kind of taken back, but I was like, I'm, I'm awesome. Thanks. And then she looked at me and she pointed her finger right in my face and she got this mean look and she said to me, she goes, no. And then she just paused and I was like, what the hell did I do? Like, yeah. did I offend her? What happened? She goes, you? She goes, you are super fantastic. And she threw her hand up in the air and she started laughing out loud. <laughs> and I busted out laughing. And as I drove down the road, I kept thinking to myself, what everybody would be thinking in that same moment is, does she do this to every single car? Or was it just me? Was it like a random moment? But I got my answer a few months later when uh, I was watching a TV and this is in Richmond, Virginia. I see a McDonald's commercial come onto the TV 
And shooting out of the golden arches at the end is the toll booth woman shouting, try it. It's super fantastic. And I remember telling all my friends, I was like, I knew it. I knew that woman was going to get famous, at least locally, right, for what she had done. I knew people were just going to fall in love with her. People were going to tell her story. And sure enough, she did. And so for me, it's the difference. It's like contributing to the world. One person says, I work at a toll booth. Like, what difference can I make? And then another person's like, I work at a toll booth. What difference can I make? And so many people are obsessed with where they are and what they've got. And they don't have the budget and they don't live in the neighborhood and they don't have the friends and they don't go to the school. But it's all these excuses where versus just looking and going, what can I do with what I've got? How can I contribute to the world? How can I give something today? And that is the mission. And so when you go to a concert, same thing, same front row life idea is you show up and one person goes, what can I get from the concert? You know what I mean? It's like, they're always like, what can I take away? And another person shows up and they're like, well, if the band's good, then I'll be good. But you go through life as, you know, trading, you know, trading energy. And then the other person shows up and says, I don't give a shit what happens. I'm going to make this concert great. And they're a contributor. They give something. And that's how they live their life. And that's what living life in the front row is about. Incredible. There's actually a little video that uh, it's called Validation. Have you seen this? And it's about this parking guy. Yes, it's very really similar. Good. I'm going to link it in the show notes here for guys who haven't seen it. But yeah, the, the guy is, is like a parking guy and someone comes up and is like, I need validation for his That's parking. Right. And the guy's like, you're a good looking cool <laughs> right, guy. Right. And the guy's like, what? Thanks. Right. And then there's this parking line all the way out the door. It's an yeah. excellent film and it comes full circle. So it's worth the watch, I think. And I'll do my damn just to embed it in the show notes. I know for a while it kept getting removed for some reason from various YouTube channels, which is a huge pain and copyright infringement or something like that. But uh, excellent. Thanks so much, John. Is there anything that you want to leave us with? I mean, we've been going for a while, but I know you've got some more exercises and things like that that I want to sort of wrap with because the guys love to take action, the guys and girls, actually. Uh, One of the things that I liked, you told us that it's important to decide what's worth fighting for and how you want to be remembered. And I always say that legacy is greater than currency, and I, I love that because... It's so damn true. If I have a choice between leaving a lasting impression on people like I do with this podcast versus just making an extra buck, I always choose legacy over currency. And how do we go through that process? Because it is very tough. I happen to stumble upon this passion by accident. But how do we decide what's worth fighting for and how we want to be remembered? It's such a deep question, and it's not really something that's easily addressed by most people. Well, the first thing is you got to get quiet. I think you've got to find silence. You know, so many people are great at finding the noise, but you've got to create some space in your life for the answer to show up. You know, sometimes that answer is whispering to you, but you just we're too busy talking and taking in so much media that we aren't getting the right answers from ourselves. So I'd say get a little retreat, you know, even if it's 10 minutes every morning or maybe it's a couple of days somewhere else, you've got to get a retreat and you've got to find a way to, you know, listen to what your heart is saying. That's the first thing. Um, But yeah, who do you want to who do you want to fight for? Who do you want to give a voice to? What bothers you? You know, like what's that itch that you want to scratch? And for me in the Front Row Foundation, it was taking my greatest love and my greatest fear and marrying them together because that's unending fuel. You know, my greatest fear was having this ride end early. I love life. And, you know, as I got a little bit older, I realized I'm not invincible. I didn't do anything to earn this day. You know, somebody else is in charge of this. Like everything that we all do right now today was what somebody was doing when it was their last day. And we have influence. We can eat well and exercise and all that stuff, but we can't choose when it's all going to come to an end. You know, that's a gift we're given every day. And so I think that for a lot of us, it's about, you know, figuring out what's worth fighting for, not wasting another day, but getting quiet enough to hear those whispers and then going after it with everything we've got. And I would also say this, start with a little challenge. You know, we all like to, maybe we're all competitive and we all like to compete with ourselves, especially it's great to compete with others, but it's good to challenge yourself. Any of these like 30 or 60 day challenges, the latest research will show that it's like 66 days to, to make or break a habit. But it's, you know, do something to challenge yourself. Beginning part of this year for me, it was no alcohol, no coffee for 60 days. That was a game changer for me. That changed things. And so it's something, pick something right now that maybe that keystone habit or keystone idea that's that one thing that could change everything and, and make a commitment and start that today, whatever it is. And that's what I would say. Thanks so much, John. Guys can find more from you at frontrowhub.com. I'm obviously going to link to that in the show notes. And really, thanks so much for your time, man. Always inspirational, and I really appreciate the conversation. I know the listeners do as well. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Take care, bud.
excellent episode. I especially appreciate the ideas of creating value inside your own network, being a creator, and of course, how introverts can become creators, as well as the habit change and the way that we view quote unquote negative events in different light and try to look for the positive and how we can cultivate positivity as a habit. And I really enjoy the thought exercises and even the written exercises that John gave us during this podcast. I also love to hammer down the point that legacy is greater than currency and deciding what's important to you and what's worth fighting for and the way that you want to be remembered is much more motivating than just trying to get the next dollar. So I hope you guys dug this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and I'll see you guys next time. Special thanks to you guys for listening, show feedback, and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordanh at theartofcharm.com. And of course, boot camp details there as well. Go ahead and email or call me. Honestly, that's the best way to get in touch, and I'll give you everything you need to know about our programs here in LA. If you guys are listening, but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and make the change there, because getting your shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and search for The Art of Charm. That's it. And if you guys want to write us a nice review, we'll love you forever there as well, because it helps other people find us, and it's really important to keep our show ranks up. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 